0: Welcome and thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy with help from evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers. PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder is a disorder that can affect anyone at any age who has experienced a shocking, scary, or dangerous event. Here to talk to us about how it affects us, how to treat it, and how to help others cope with it is Dr. Sarah Wakefield. Dr. Wakefield is chair of the Department of Psychiatry at the TTUHSC School of Medicine. Dr. Wakefield, welcome back to our podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited
1: to be here with you this morning.
0: Can you remind our listeners a little bit about what you do at the Health Sciences Center? Sure. I am the chair of the Department of Psychiatry
1: within the School of
0: Medicine. Well, again, thank you for coming on. Your podcast is one of the most popular ones that we've had, so I'm excited to have you on. We're discussing PTSD this morning. Can you talk to us about what is PTSD and what are some examples? Sure. So,
1: at its core, PTSD is an overactivation of the sympathetic nervous system and I know that's a lot, of, a lot of words, and maybe that doesn't really describe what's happening. But in your automatic, we call it autonomic, but in our automatic nervous system, there are two main components to that. And one is called your parasympathetic, and we call that your rest and digest system, kind of your calming system, um, what happens when you are not running around when you're resting and digesting. Then there's your sympathetic nervous system. And we think of that as your fight or flight nervous system. So it helps you prepare and get ready if there's something scary. It kicks in when you are participating in sports and running around and need more oxygen to your muscles. Uh, It helps your heart rate go faster when you need to move quickly. And that's your sympathetic nervous system. And PTSD is an overactivation of that sympathetic nervous system in response to a past trauma. So it's like your body is almost constantly, or at least when there's a trigger of that past trauma, in that fight-or-flight state, even when there's no reason or no identifiable reason to be in fight-or-flight.
0: So how is that different from maybe anxiety or burnout?
1: Well, anxiety tends to be something that may be more genetically coded, more trait related. So passed down to you through generations of how your baseline state is. And it can be, you know, some people are just wired a little bit tight, they're tuned a little bit tighter than others. Uh, And that is likely based on their genetics. The PTSD is in response to a trauma, some kind of event that has happened in which you thought your life was threatened or your bodily integrity was threatened, and it sent your body a signal that you need to be on alert that that might be happening at any time. But it's a new state. You weren't, you're not born into PTSD.
0: So who gets PTSD? Is it just those in the military and law enforcement or what about healthcare providers? So lots of people get PTSD. We
1: we actually aren't really sure about why some people get PTSD and others don't. But one in 3 persons who are exposed to a major traumatic event end up with PTSD, functionally impairing Symptoms where it's hard for them to do the same and live the same life that they had prior to the traumatic event. So that can be law enforcement, uh, military, uh, healthcare workers, children who have been exposed to trauma, victims of sexual assault. There are lots of different reasons, victims of natural disasters. There are lots of different reasons that you might be exposed to a major traumatic event in which you thought your life was in harm's way. And obviously there are... There are professions that put you in that situation more often. There's some discussion about whether or not the surprise of the trauma increases the rate of PTSD. So, if you weren't sure, you know, if you thought you were going into a combat situation and you had been trained for that and prepared for that, do you have the same likelihood of PTSD? as if you were surprised if you had a, a job in the military that you did not expect to be in a combat situation and then find yourself in that combat situation. There's some discussion about whether that ladder, the surprise of the trauma, increases the rate of PTSD, um, that the fear and helplessness and that overwhelming sense of not knowing what to do and feeling a loss of control contributes to your body's trigger to go into fight or flight.
0: Are there differences between men and women with PTSD? There are. Um, More
1: women, when exposed to traumas, get PTSD. Now, this is uh, still a question that we have, because there's a higher rate of PTSD with sexual assault, and more women are sexually assaulted than men. That's a more frequent trauma for women. And there is a higher rate of PTSD with sexual assault. So it's hard to know. There is some discussion about whether that's genetically related to the the hormones of women, why your body would send you into fight or flight more commonly or more frequently or more intensely. And then there's the other factor of the type of trauma that women typically experience compared to the type of trauma that men experience.
0: And what about kiddos?
1: So kids can definitely get PTSD. There are two things that we see that the younger you are, again, that perceived hopelessness, loss of control, extreme fear tends to be the trigger, and then also repetitive trauma. So if you've had a trauma when you're young, it's more likely that you'll have more traumas over time, and repetitive trauma definitely is an increased risk factor for developing PTSD.
0: So what are some symptoms of PTSD?
1: There are three main components, three main symptom categories. And then additionally, you have to have had a trauma. So you have to have had a, and this is how it differs from, from the anxiety component um, in one way, that you have to have experienced something that you thought, uh, what we call a qualifying trauma. And that can be different for different people. It doesn't have to be, you know, we, we talked about a lot of different types of trauma that you can have. And for children, especially, it can be the concern that their parent, you know, witnessing or a concern that their parent might die. There's also some discussion about witnessing things on television where uh, repetitive deaths on television, if that stimulates a fear in the child that they too are in danger and could die. So first is the qualifying trauma. Then there are three sets, three categories of symptoms. One is hyperarousal. So when that sympathetic nervous system kicks in, that's when you feel your heart going faster, breathing faster. We see increased skin conductance and sweating um, with people who have PTSD. It's like their sympathetic nervous system is just on edge, waiting for something terrible to happen so they can fight it or flight from it, run away from it. So that hyperarousal state is. One category, and we can see that with um, you can see it in panic attacks. That's probably the most uh, visible sign of hyperarousal: feeling like you have to flee and get away from a trigger or stressor. Uh, we also see dissociation where the sympathetic nervous system takes over so much that it almost shuts down any other thinking that we can see. And so you'll hear people talk about, oh, I blacked out. I blacked out and I don't remember what happened. Um, That's a dissociative episode, and we see those happen in PTSD. So those are some symptoms of hyperarousal. Uh, A second category of symptoms is re-experiencing symptoms. So re-experiencing can be flashbacks, nightmares, can also be intrusive thoughts when you don't want to think about what happened in the past. Those, you know, it doesn't have to be one, you don't have to have nightmares, but you have to have some component of re-experiencing the trauma or symptoms of the trauma in the past. And then the third category, which is really thought to be the most functionally impairing category of PTSD, is the avoidance category. And it's the avoidance of any trigger that might send you into thinking about what happened or send you into that sympathetic arousal. And this is when we see people not leaving their house or not getting in a car if they've had a motor vehicle accident in the past or not wanting to be in a crowd. And this can really be functionally impairing about how they move through the world,
0: What could trigger an episode?
1: So triggers can be many different things. They can be external triggers that remind you of what happened. Again, getting into a car or seeing a perpetrator in the past. You know, We see people who have experienced an assault and then have to either go to court and see them or see them at school or see them in a family gathering. So external triggers that remind you or make you scared that that event will happen again. There can also be internal triggers of those re-experiencing symptoms. So if you have a nightmare about the event happening and wake up, that also can be a trigger for PTSD symptoms.
0: How do you treat PTSD and are there different forms of treatment?
1: Yes, there are different forms of treatment and one of the interesting things about PTSD is that if you're safe from the trauma, if you are not experiencing a lot of triggers that make you think the trauma will happen again, it's not unlikely that the PTSD resolves over time on itself by itself. There are people who do not need treatment for PTSD even if they previously qualified for a PTSD diagnosis. However, when you're having extreme avoidance symptoms and you do have functional impairment, we recommend treatment. We recommend it as early as possible so you can do the least intervention possible. There are a lot of effective treatments for PTSD, There are several therapies. One is called exposure therapy. So in little graduated doses, getting closer and closer to what a trigger might be. First, maybe thinking about the trigger. Then maybe writing about the trigger. Then going in a place that the trigger might be. And doing that with a therapist, if possible working on that sympathetic response in those situations. So controlling that sympathetic response, you're doing two things. You're working on the avoidance symptoms, and you're also working on those hyperarousal symptoms um, that can both be very functionally impairing. There's another type of therapy called cognitive restructuring, and this is really looking at, it's a component of many different therapies, as it can be graduated exposure. But cognitive restructuring is talking, thinking about why your brain is doing this. What happened to you? It's a lot of psychoeducation, understanding what is happening in your brain and body. So you don't feel like you're going crazy. You don't feel, you know, the major C word everybody's worried about. You're feeling loss of control and it kind of perpetuates these symptoms. If you understand what's going on in your brain, you feel almost immediately like you have a little bit more control over it and it's not so foreign to you. So cognitive restructuring is really looking at, okay, what happened to me? What happened to my brain what is happening now, trying to understand those symptoms so you can catch them early, work on that hyperarousal, talk yourself through avoidance symptoms, um, and really move through that pathology so you can show yourself, look, I am safe here. I am okay here. There are medications that can be helpful with PTSD. None specifically that have been shown for PTSD in Overall, but for specific symptoms, so to reduce some nightmares or to improve sleep, reduce anxiety load overall, and we use the same medications that we use for other diagnoses targeting those same symptoms. So they're not specific to PTSD; they're really specific to the symptoms that can cause functional impairment in PTSD. And if we can lower those symptoms, it's easier to engage in the therapy. So the the point of the medication isn't to cure or erase PTSD; it's to lower the symptom load so that you can engage in the therapies and the work that you need to do to move through PTSD.
0: Of course, I have to bring up the pandemic. Have you seen an, an increase in the number of people with PTSD since the pandemic started?
1: So I don't have hard numbers on this. I think it'll take us a couple of years to gather this kind of data on what the um, what the diagnoses were. Um, But I think that it's very likely. I think that we all know it's happening. And there are a couple of different reasons for this. One is that there are children and adolescents and family members who have stayed home a lot more in houses where there was already trauma and abuse happening. And instead of having a time period where they were at school or at work, they have more likely been in this traumatic experience and been exposed to that traumatic behavior. Uh, So we do expect that children and adolescents have been experiencing more trauma in that way. Additionally, we know that people have been consuming more alcohol, so perpetrators who might not have engaged in physical abuse at home might have been tipped into that when their disinhibition was erased by alcohol and other drugs and substances. And so we think that there are quite a few more people just in the home experiencing traumatic events just because of the increase in alcohol and the time spent together in that traumatic environment. Second, we know that there have been a lot of people exposed to death, both in the hospital and outside of the hospital. Many, many children have lost parents and grandparents. They have seen them get sick, they have seen them die. they have seen them taken away in ambulances. This is these are all potentially qualifying traumas for for children and adolescents. And then we think about healthcare workers and what's going on in hospitals and that extreme fear and helplessness, especially at the beginning of the pandemic when we weren't quite sure in the surge, you know, in the places where it was surging first and the services were overwhelmed so quickly and there were no clear guidelines on what to do. Uh, So I think those were very likely places to see extreme fear and hopelessness and loss of control.
0: So how can we be mindful of others who may have ptsd
1: so i try to think about the quote and i'm i apologize that i don't know who to attribute to it to in this moment but i see it on posters a lot where you know it says you don't know what someone else is dealing with today you don't know what road or what they're battling. And so just be kind to everyone. And I think that's the major thing, that if we can decrease our judgment about why people are reacting in the way that they're reacting and be kind to each other and and try to access our humanity. And if, someone's, uh, if you're popping firecrackers next to someone's house and they come out and feel really overwhelmed and even yell, then you say, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to bother you. I didn't mean we were just trying to have fun. And move your funds somewhere else. Really, instead of saying, oh, this mean old person or this per, you know, person who overreacted in this way, uh, I think accessing our humanity and thinking, oh, they, this must be distressing to them. They're getting distressed for a reason, and I don't want to increase their distress. Maybe I don't understand it, um, but I don't want to be a person who increases their distress. A- and that's really what I think it is. I think giving people the benefit of the doubt that we're all doing the best we can Um, and, and then maybe asking a question, like, does this bother you? And, and how can I help? And how can I make you feel more comfortable?
0: How can we help? Maybe we're in in a situation where somebody might be triggered and is having an episode, what can we do for them?
1: So I think, number one, asking them what they need. You know, some people it's, they're not sure what they need, but if they take a pause, they could kind of get out of that feedback loop of the sympathetic nervous system saying there's danger, there's danger. Uh, definitely saying you're safe. I don't see any danger here. How can I help you? Getting somebody a glass of cold water can kind of reset their sympathetic nervous system to being more calm. There are breathing exercises. You know, I, I, um, When you you see it on TV a lot, the brown bag that someone's given when they're having a panic attack, and that really is fixing the chemical and the oxygenation difference that starts happening when you're breathing too quickly and it calms you down. There are other ways to do that without a brown bag, taking some deep breaths and focusing on uh, how long your exhale is so that you can keep lengthening that exhale. I have people count out their exhale uh, and see if they can get to 10. That's actually really hard unless you're really, really calm and meditating. But when you're in the middle of a triggered PTSD panic, you might get to one. And so really concentrating on exhaling until you can bring that exhale out to four or five or six and regain control of that sympathetic nervous system and then assess your surroundings.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: It's important for people to understand. I see lots of people in a clinic who do weren't even aware that they had PTSD. You know, they they feel they've been labeled with lots of different diagnoses over time. And we take a history and they've had a, you know, their symptoms started right after a major trauma. Um, and some of them have been experiencing those symptoms for years in some sort of fashion. And I think, you know, we know more and more about how often, how many people are experiencing traumas. And the idea of trauma-informed care is just being aware of that, being aware of how many people experience traumas and how that affects our brain over time, and at least assimilating that into our diagnosis and our assessment and our treatment structure so that people can understand what's happened to their body and brain and regain control of it and move through their life in a healthier way.
0: Well, thank you for coming on our podcast and talking to us about PTSD. Well, thank you for having me. Always happy to be here. Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts, so you won't miss our next episode. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo. Susanna Cisneros and me, Melissa Whitfield.